Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Cindy and Chrissy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with changing the ideals and expectations of motherhood. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about. All while hanging with your mom friends. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Dr. Lisa Folden is a licensed physical therapist and mom-focused lifestyle coach. The owner of Healthy Fit Physical Therapy and Wellness Consultants in Charlotte, North Carolina, Dr. Folden works with clients recovering from orthopedic and neurological injuries. Additionally, she assists busy moms seeking a healthier lifestyle. She helps guide their food, exercise, and wellness choices through optimal organization, planning strategies, and holistic goal setting. In today's episode, Dr. Folden dives into the importance of organization in our lives and how it can help us combat feelings of overwhelm, how to redefine and manage pain to improve the quality of life, and navigating through diet culture and learning to embrace your body. This one is sure to leave you laughing and with so many great tips to implement in your own life. Let's dive in. Dr. Lisa Folden, I remember the first time I sat down on a Zoom call with you, I just left that call feeling just so energized and happy. You're, you are just, you exude energy and happiness. And I, it's just a joy to be in your presence always. So we're so grateful to have you on and to let our moms meet you and just see what you're about. Thank you for that. It's an honor to be here. And I, I left the call feeling the same way. So I knew I wanted to connect with you all. Definitely. Yay. All right. We're going to dive right in. We're, we have some get to know you questions. If okay. you've heard any of our previous podcasts, we call them rapid fire questions. And okay. I'm no longer calling that. They're not <laughs> rapid. We just always end up talking. So they're get to know you questions. First question, Dr. Folden, fill in the blank. Motherhood is. Motherhood is complicated. <laughs> oh, that's a new one. Yeah. I would say complicated. (laughs) Well, because right, it's like full of joy, right? And you know, you always want to be respectful because we know there are people who struggle with, you know, fertility and struggle with, you know, raising children. So I'm never taking it for granted the joy and the beauty of being able to have children and raise them. But it's 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 a lot of pain involved too. (laughs) So a lot of joy, a lot of pain. But I would say it's worth it every time for sure. But definitely complicated. Absolutely. I love that. It's such a layered word and it's such a a layered thing, motherhood. So love it. Cleanest room in your house. So right now, and typically it's my home office and it's because I curated a space for me and only me. And I will literally bite your head off if you come in. there. (laughs) So so it is my little space. I call it my mom fist actually. And I don't really let anybody come in there. It's it's just for me. So now is this something you work with a lot of moms to do to like Mm -hmm. create space? Okay. Yep. Sometimes it's a corner of a room. Sometimes it's a whole room, whatever you can make work, but but I think it's important to have your own space and and let everybody know, like, hey, this is mommy space. I love you. Give me five or 10 minutes here and then we'll convene. <laughs> but this is mommy space. Please leave. So, yeah. 
Oh gosh, I love that. I have what is supposed to be mommy space and it's yeah. my office and we're in the middle of a renovation. So it's been overcome by like toys and oh, there's yeah. magnets all over my desk and Oh, I get it. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel, though, at least. That's true. (laughs) What's bringing your life sanity right now? Um, Believe it or not, maintaining a certain level of organization that that keeps me from going cuckoo. And then TV. (laughs) Like, I get lost in a good Netflix series. I'm a binger. Like, you give me a good show, especially if they're short episodes. Oh, I might finish it in a couple nights because I can just get lost in that. It's like, I don't have to worry about my real life or responsibilities. So this is perfect. And then, of course, time just just, zone out. Right. And just (laughs) and then uh, time with my girlfriends. Like I, I have made it a point, you know, with all this COVID stuff to just be as safe as I can and still engage with my friends because I need that adult time with other women, other mothers to kind of just release. So do you have like a set friend time? Do you go out once a week? What does that look like? You know, I don't have it scheduled per se, but we, I am in communication with my friends on nearly a daily basis, either via text or Marco Polo or social media. So we just, you know, randomly throw it out there like, Hey, we're getting together. Um, I have a small group of friends, female uh, women that are all business owners. So we have a little group called friendpreneur and we meet quarterly to like eat and just, you know, share business ideas and share progress. And we just had that last week at my house. So those types of things, they just fill me back up, you know? Oh, they do. They're so energizing. Oh, I love that. I like your play on words. You've got a lot of like, yeah. Moffis. What was it? Moffis? Momfis. Momfis. Oh, Momfis. <laughs> <laughs> and friendpreneur. Yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned binge watching. So what are you reading or watching right now? Oh gosh, I'm watching so much. So I just finished this uh, comedy series on Netflix called The Upshaws. It was really, really funny. Just very lighthearted, silly. And I'm currently, I'm catching back up on a show I watched before called Queen of the South. It's back and I love it. (gasps) Oh, I love that show. It's back on USA. And then there's one more. I can't remember. I watch a lot of shows. The Resident, New Amsterdam, there's tons. But uh, I'm finishing up reading Fearing the Black Body by Sarah Strings. And I'm just starting... Intuitive Eating by Evelyn Tribble and Elise Resch, I believe. Yes, I'm just starting that one and finishing up Fearing the Black Body. That one has been so heavy. I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) So, but yeah, lots of reading and watching. That's awesome. Well, and you mentioned watching something lighthearted and same thing with reading. I I feel like my the books on my end table, there's always like one thick, heavy, you Mm -hmm. know, hard topic book. And then I've got like my lighthearted fun book. I always have to have yes. two going simultaneously because you never know what you're in a mood for. Yeah. So. That's smart. I should do that. I'm, I'm always like, finish this, then start this, finish this. But you're right. You should have both. Yeah. I like that. I don't know. There's merit to, to your method too, but I've, I've always got like <laughs> three or four books going at the same time. We should, we'll do a survey of our, our listeners of which Let's one, they, which way they go. <laughs> right. What do you look for in a mom friend? Oh, mom friends, like, first of all, non-judgy. I don't do the judgy stuff. Like, we all have our methods and things that work with our kids and things that don't like, that's fine. But I don't do the judgy stuff. So non-judgy, I like easygoing, just fun. You know, preferably I like you, you know, if you drink so we can, you know, share cocktails. But, you know, that's (laughs) fine if you don't. (laughs) But, yeah, just somebody fun that you can just kind of, you know, let go and vent to without feeling like, you know, all that extra question about the judgy, (laughs) about the judgy. Is it a feeling that you have about them not being judgy or is it you, you almost, you can tell that they are judgy. 
you know, usually I was, it'll probably be more of a feeling than anything, but I think usually you can feel it in the tone sometimes to the tone of the, or the response to your statements or questions. It's like, oh yeah, we do this. And it's like, oh, well, we don't, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we don't do that. Or it's like, okay, come on. Who cares? (laughs) Are your children alive? Good job. You know, that's, that's like, (laughs) we're all making it. (laughs) Win for the day. (laughs) Right. What's one thing you'd like to learn? Oh gosh, I am still struggling with how to, I've been digging into like this whole idea of a peaceful parent because I was not raised that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We grew up with, you know, lots of yells, lots of spankings or poppings. And I started out thinking like, okay, we'll, we'll spank as well as needed. But as my children have gotten older, I found it to be very ineffective. (laughs) And I know there's a lot of research that says it's not it. I, I, I don't necessarily judge if you prefer to do spankings or poppings here or there or or don't. But for me, I'm trying to adopt a more peaceful approach to parenting where I'm not getting so emotionally stirred up and angry and upset and stressed out. And so it's been really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm trying to just get better with it. I have one, one wonderful child, my middle baby, and she is a, she's just one of those testers. Like she's gonna, she's gonna question you. She's gonna talk back. She's, she's gonna be like, why? You know, and it's like, <gasps> bring yourself back, Lisa. This has nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? So that, that process has been really hard for me, but I'm really working on it. (laughs) Well, and it's, it's a never ending, like you'll never perfect it. You'll never have it down pat. There's going to be good days and bad days. So it's just something you constantly work on. And I bringing it back to your first word, it's complicated, Um, very, very complicated. (laughs) But I do feel with peaceful parenting that as much as it is for the child, it is for the parent too, for your own. You're right. Mental mm-hmm. health and sanity, it it helps. Maybe not that in the was moment the selling. when you're like <laughs> <laughs> right when you're all stressed. But that was the selling point for me because I did, I found myself just being so frustrated. And it's like, I don't want to be angry and mad at my kid for doing something. Yeah, granted, something I asked you not to do and you're still doing it. But it's like they're still children. So I don't want to be like mad like I would be with a full-grown adult who kept disrespecting my boundaries. You know, it's, it's just different. So having figuring out that piece because I, I wasn't raised that way. It, you know, kids were kind of approached in the same way adults were. It's like, okay, you did something you weren't supposed to do. You're in trouble. This is what you're getting. And so I, breaking free from that has been has been a challenge, but you're right. It, it's a process and it's a day-to-day thing. So prayerfully, it'll get a little easier <laughs> as we go. <laughs> now, is this a book that you're following? Is it a course that you've taken or just reaching inside yourself? So, so it, there is a book, I believe, actually. I have not read it myself, but <laughs> I've, I've taken to... Um, what the new age kids do to learn. And I've been pulling from social media. (laughs) So there are a few people that I follow that read all the books and post all the things. And I have been incorporating a lot of those tips into my parenting. And I'll be honest, 80% of the time they have been almost flawless and really wonderful and very helpful. It's just sometimes it just, you know, it just gets to be too much where it's like, okay. And a part of that is too being with the kids all the time with everything. It's like, you know, now you're home from school for this day or that day, or my husband works a lot. So he's gone working all weekend and I'm trying to entertain him all weekend. And I'm like, so it it has a lot to do with that. And, you know, but yeah, but yeah. All right. Last get to know you question. How do you picture your empty nest days? That is such a good one. In my mind, I think we'd be downsizing to like a smaller house. But every time I say that I I go back like, "Mm, 
because I kind of always want the kids to be able to come back and visit or stay for a while if they need to. So probably won't downsize, to be honest. Um, But I just I I see it as an opportunity to travel a bit more, you know, just kind of tap into that second half of life and probably reconnect with my husband a bit because you know how it gets like when the kids are little, everything starts to be about them. And um, we work at not letting that be the case. But um, I think when they're gone and it's just, you know, he and I will be able to really center ourselves a bit more. I'll probably do a lot more reading because (laughs) I say I can't sit with a book. All my books are audio now because I'm like sitting with a book. Someone's going to stop me to do something or I'm going to look at something. I'm going to be distracted. So I think I'll just have more time to like really hone in and enjoy that quiet time. So it sounds like a, a positive impression of the empty nest days. You're, you're looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I mean, I'm gonna miss them, of course, but I have, a, I have three kids and I really have a feeling at least one of them will stick around off and on for a while. So I feel like they'll be, <laughs> I feel like they'll be nearby. <laughs> you never but, know, right? <laughs> you never know. You never know. In 2012, which crazy, it was nine years ago, you right? established Healthy Fit because you wanted to create a practice in which the client's total health and wellness was the primary driving force. At that time, the idea of naturopathic services and the concept of functional and integrative health were becoming more popular, but hadn't yet hit their stride. And we were still lingering in a more piecemeal approach of going to separate providers for each of our ailments and where most often the provider would treat the displayed symptoms. Mm -hmm. As a society, we were also just beginning to see the benefit of digging deeper into the client's lifestyle to find root causes of of ailments. Mm -hmm. Will you talk us through the history of when the concept of treating the client's total health and wellness gained societal acceptance and how you forecasted this with enough confidence to open a business supporting its cause? Uh, so that is a, a very good question. <laughs> so so with regard to the history uh, of this sort of phenomenon, when I was in physical therapy school, it was from 2004 to 2007. And what I will say about the field of physical therapy is it is very it is taught very much in a holistic way. For the most part, we do get to consider certain parts of people's lifestyles and their uh, genetics and or their upbringing or their culture way more learning, you know, that can be done and and you get into the field and you, you know, recognize that. But I would say from the standpoint of an allied health professional, that was always a piece of our treatment. However, and unfortunately, because 90% of, you know, healthcare practitioners then, maybe a little less now, operated in an insurance-based system, it really didn't matter (laughs) that you took more time with your patients, spent more time with your patients, understood their lifestyles and history as it relates to their diagnosis and your treatment, because the insurance company sadly dictated what you were able to do, how much time you were able to spend with clients and all of that. So I I blame the insurance system, you know, which kind of boils down to lawmakers and lobbyists and things of that nature more than anything for making it challenging for naturopathic and holistic services to be as popular as they should be. They have of course gained popularity, but you know, like I know, most wellness practices, naturopathic services, they're not covered by anyone's, you know, regular standard medical insurance. So it's really hard to, to sort of set up a practice based on that. So 
for the history of my practice, I started it as a traditional physical therapy practice and I was in market in network with most insurance companies. Now, part of the reason outside of my training that I was able and willing to make it very holistic is because I had the wonderful opportunity and the the luck really of working with a naturopathic physician when I started my practice. So uh, her name is Dr. Kavette Parks and she owns and operates the Lifestyle Clinic. It has gone full virtual as of now. But um, when I first opened my practice, she was one of the people kind of encouraging me. She's local to Charlotte and she had a space in, in near Uptown Charlotte, actually very near my office now. And she had an empty room in it. So her office operated. She was a naturopathic physician. There was a chiropractor in the space. There was a mental health therapist who's a dear friend of mine. There was a massage therapist and maybe an acupuncturist. And she was like, we have an empty room. Why don't you come and practice here? And so it was a way for me to step out into my own business with a little bit less stress and overhead. And so I did that and working with her as my naturopath, and I also coach clients for her, it really opened my eyes to just how expansive, you know, the holistic world was. And so I was able to learn a lot from her and, and continue to incorporate a naturopathic focus in my own practice. And it's really been great for my clients. You know, for example, if you go to a traditional physical therapy clinic, it's very likely you'll be in a large gym where there are several therapists treating several patients at one time. If you come to me, you are literally just with me. <laughs> There's no one else in the office. We spend one hour together, one-on-one. And that is something that was very important to me to maintain. And that is also why I left most insurance markets. I'm only in network with like one or two insurance companies at this point because uh, people will get better care if you can just pay a reasonable rate out of pocket and get all of your needs met you know, one-on-one. And so that's important to me. It's important that I deliver that level of quality care and I have, you know, reduced rates. And like I said, I'm still in, in network with some insurance companies, but what I find is that you have to charge what your services are worth and you have to give people the care they deserve. And sometimes with insurance companies or all times with insurance companies, their their goal is to make money, sadly. And so what they will do is continue to limit the resources the patient has access to and limit the reimbursement that the clinician gets. And so for me, it was important to, to not be, you know, limited by those things. And so um, so that's why I took a more, you know, naturopathic focus. And I think the reason, another reason that that area has grown is because we just have access to more information. You know, there was a time we had our one doctor, we went to them, whatever they said was gold. We didn't get a second opinion. We didn't ask questions. (laughs) We just lived it. And now it's like, well, the internet is available and not everything you find on there is true, but it can at least get your wheels turning and encourage you to be more of an advocate in your healthcare. And that's how I like my patients. I want them knowledgeable. I want them to be advocates. I want them to understand what we're doing and why I want them to be able to question me, you know? So I think, you know, those are, those are some of the reasons and, and I love it. I think the holistic focus is everything personally. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love the holistic piece as well. It's just so nice to have somebody dig deeper and find out what the root cause may be rather than just treating what my ailment is. If I go in for a headache, I don't necessarily need medicine or a prescription for something. So that's that's wonderful that you do that. And so when you started working with your naturopathic friend, you opened your business based on that method methodology, right? And that's just kind of how you went forward. 
Yep, exactly. Just having it was more so like it's like you go into something and you already have like a little tribe, a little support system with you. And so it just made it easier. So, yeah, I went into it with a very, you know, holistic approach because also she would refer patients to me. I would refer patients to her. I might refer to the massage therapist. They would refer to me. So we had this really great cooperative work environment where we were all very focused on the whole person. And, you know, the mental health therapist would send me patients. I would send her clients like they get to talking and it's like, oh, this seems like something above my level of knowledge and understanding. Why don't you see our therapist who works right down the hall? One stop shop. You know, it was really it was a really good set up. I hate that we had to lose that. The the developers ended up tearing the building down. So we all kind of had to scatter. But it was a good scenario to work in because we were really able to it was like multidisciplinary. We were able to really treat the whole person in within ourselves and then by referrals. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. And at that time, I'm going to kind of guide you into the next question. At that time, were you just doing physical therapy or were you also doing coaching? Um, at that time, it was 90% physical therapy. I had a couple of wellness clients. So they were just coming to, you know, maybe begin a workout program and maybe they had finished physical therapy because they were all healed, but they wanted to get stronger and get back to like going to the gym and stuff like that. So speaking of the coaching, so it's another service you provide is mom life coaching, which is yes. such a a unique niche. I feel like a lot of people <laughs> might shy away from that term. And what does that mean exactly? But essentially you offer personalized coaching for things like organization, like we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. the meal prep, exercise, whatever else may be of concern in a mom's life. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to offer mom life coaching as a service. And what I'm most interested to know is for the majority of the concerns that moms come with to you with, do you also find that you need to work on those areas in your own life or do they just come natural to you? Yeah. So I started mom coaching out of a necessity for myself. So it started with me. I'm the oldest of seven kids. So I was always around children. I always felt like motherhood would be pretty simple for me, which is hilarious to say now. So when I started we all go in like that, <laughs> don't we? Do we? I don't know. I thought I was crazy, but anyway, oh, I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought that it would just be kind of simple. I waited until I was almost 30. I was married. We purchased our first home. So I felt like, you know, I had all my ducks in a row and this would be smooth sailing. What I was not prepared for was the emotional toll. Like you really can't prepare for it. It's like this emotional, I don't know. It it was just, it was a lot. I felt overwhelmed daily. And part of it now, you know, in hindsight was probably the fact that I was operating off two or three hours of sleep every night. (laughs) So, and just understanding how challenging it is to transition to motherhood, no matter how much previous experience you have with children, no matter how much support you have around, which we didn't have much at that time. I, I just felt overwhelmed. And once I started to pull myself out of the hole and figure out how to organize a life that would, you know, help me stay sane and and keep me joyful. I I wanted to help other mothers. So yeah, a lot of the things that I helped them with were things that I had to figure out for myself. I will say organization always came pretty natural to me. Like that wasn't, that's always been something I've been very passionate about. I was that kid who color coded shoes or clothes or, you know, wrote in a planner. Like I've, I've always been that way, but there are other parts of the motherhood journey that, you know, were definitely not my strong suit, but I did grow and develop those, those skills so that I could help other women. Ah, uh, that's wonderful. Do you have a, a favorite that you love working with clients on? Uh, really? It's probably the organization. Well, 
so it's a few things. I love helping them create spaces and then organizing. Like I, I'm big on command centers for your family. So a place where everybody can see where you can store the book bags and have the calendar and have the you know important notes from school and all that. Like that really saves me a lot of stress. But I also like helping moms be really bold about their self-care because it's just something that gets thrown by the wayside because we focus on our babies because we love them and they need us, you know, so there's no shame in that. But carving out time to say, OK, even if it's today, I'm going to start with 10 minutes like here, here, husband, here, partner, here, here, friend, here, mother, take this child. <laughs> I need five minutes to just breathe and be alone. So baby steps toward like really being radical about your self-care and um that that's always tough for moms, especially if, if you're a newer mom. So I love kind of opening their eyes to how refreshing that can be. So yeah, I have a lot of favorites. <laughs> well, and I mean, the baby steps is huge. I, I think that's probably the only way to truly make that an integral part of a mother's life is to mm -hmm. slowly wade into it. Yep, absolutely. Your command center tip was golden. So what do you do? This is kind of off off track a little bit, but still on track, I think. What do you do if you don't really have a spot in your home that can be designated? Do you set up a table or do you, what do you recommend for people that might not have like a niche? So, yeah. So here's the thing. You don't need a big space. Now we, we moved back in November, 2019. So I have a huge wall in my kitchen that was just basically nothing. So I made it the command center. But prior to that, my command center was literally on this. It was a wall like super, super narrow on the side of my refrigerator. That was it. And it was just, I used a small calendar. I had a cork board for notes. Um, I had a place with uh, like uh, the hanging file folders that are on the wall. So kids could throw their homework assignments or notes home or notes to school there. And then I usually try to put some hooks nearby where you can hang book bags or things of that nature. So really th there's tons of support on the internet for this now, shockingly, but um, I used to follow, I believe it was a bowl full of lemons and she's a blogger who focuses on family stuff and organization and things of that nature. And I think she was the first person to say command center. And then my wheels got to spinning and then I started, you know, going down that Pinterest rabbit hole. And <laughs> I found so many design ideas and options. And now I consider myself a semi-expert in creating, curating beautiful commands. I make it pretty. Like mine has a cute little, one of those wall decals. It says, this is our home, our life, our story, something like that. And then there's cork boards and notes and each kid has their own folder with their picture there. And, and then there's a cubby. So that's another one too, a cubby, uh, Little one of those like six cube organizers from Target with the little boxes in there. And that's where all of their like pencils and homework stuff goes. So you so it doesn't look crazy, but you can slide it out and get what you need. So it's just about whatever works for you. That's not everybody's thing, but it is important to have like a central space where the mail is, where the calendar is, where some level of organization can be found. So you know where to go and you have to figure out what's next or what's tomorrow or what do I need to do for today? Oh my gosh. That, that is makes so my teacher heart happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can imagine, Christy, you're probably like just floating. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's so much better than the mail and everything. We have a spot on the kitchen counter that is just disaster. That's what it turns into. Microwave. Yep. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's funny. We always I know used that. To say to our parents growing up, why is the counter so messy? And you know, lo and behold, we're parents and there you go. Mm -hmm. There you go. Well, this, these are great tips because moms are busy mm -hmm. and you spend a lot of time helping busy moms to navigate stressful situations yeah. and 
still find time to prioritize their health. What are your top strategies for busy moms? And can you please fill us in with how you do it yourself? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So first strategy is really just to sit down and make some decisions about what it is you want, what it is you want to do. I have tons of resources for that. And, you know, not because I I won't bore you with the list, but (laughs) basically we have to figure out what's important to you. Like what's primary for you? What is driving you the most insane? Is it the fact that the house isn't organized? Is it the fact that, you know, you can't make time for exercise? Is it the fact that, you know, you hate cooking and meal prep sucks. Like, what is it? Let's figure out the the one thing that's bothering you the most and tell me what you want for that. Like, what would you like to do in that area? What would you like to see for yourself and for your family? Once we establish that, those become our goals. And then we can set, we can create a schedule and a daily task list. And it's small stuff. It's not, you know, something that's going to take an extra hour out of your day every day. But what small things can we do every day to get you closer to that vision? And then in the midst of doing that, how can you remind yourself to have grace and patience with yourself as you make these transitions? Because it's not going to come in one day. I'm not going to go from feeling overwhelmed, unorganized, exhausted, not having any exercise, not being prepared for dinner or for anything else to the next day, like, oh, I've got it all under control. It's going to be a journey and a process and it's going to take time. And so you have to you have to have have some grace. So outside of that sort of procedural process, um, my biggest tips that I give moms when we're going through this is to find ways to couple your fitness with like family time or girlfriend time. Like maybe sometimes when you meet with your girls, it's not going to dinner. Maybe we go for a hike you know, which dinner is fine, do dinner, do drinks, do all of that. But maybe because you want to get more physical activity and you don't feel like you can, we'll meet for something outdoors, we'll walk. Or me and my kids will go to the park and while they're running, I'll be, you know, running in place or squatting while I'm pushing them on the swing or lunging, whatever I need to do to feel like, okay, I've gotten some physical activity in and I feel better. Make it work for you. I also tell moms like you need to find out either revive your old hobbies or find some new ones because your whole life cannot be work, kids, husband and nothing else. <laughs> like you have to you have to find something that still makes you happy. Like do you like to bowl? Do you like to skate? Do you like to, you know, run? Some of your hobbies can be physically, you know, active, some of them can be TV or reading or anything, crocheting, whatever things, you know, the things that you used to do before you were a mother. Go back. See if you still like them. See if you've developed new hobbies or new interests. Explore that. Okay. Um, See a therapist. That's a big one. (laughs) Like I think most people need a therapist at some point in their lives, if not most of their lives. And then the biggest one, stop comparing yourself to other moms and women, especially on social media. So I spend a lot of time coaching my moms to curate a social media that doesn't make them feel shame or guilt or less than because sometimes our brains do that. It might be a, a wonderful, well-meaning page, but every time we look at it, we feel bad about ourselves. Okay, you got to mute that person or unfollow them because whatever they're doing, it's not working for you. <laughs> so, so those are probably my top. I have several more, but those are my top tips for moms. I um I recently muted a couple accounts on social and it it changed my mental health seemingly overnight. I I agree with all of that wholeheartedly. Um, And one thing I will say, Dr. Folden, what I love about you and the work that you do, it's just so balanced. All of your advice, all of your suggestions, it's always so measured and takes into account the reality of life. And I so appreciate that because so much of the advice that we see in this realm is, is so 
adamant and strict and hard and fast in one direction. And yeah. that's not real life. We, we can't do that. We can't maintain that. So very yeah. much appreciate your, your balanced approach to things. Thank you. Yeah. And it's just because we're living it. Like we know you can't do it all like in one day you can't. So you're right. It has to be, you know, kind of doled out in small pieces and then you take what you can take and whatever you don't do that day, guess what? There's tomorrow. <laughs> like you'll be fine. We, we sometimes value ourselves based on our productivity and our mm. ability to get stuff done and get things together. And I've definitely been a victim of that, but you know, that's not real life. Like life is about the moments and the memories and you know, it's not just, Oh, what did I get done today? It's like, you're not a robot. So. That's such a great <laughs> reminder. Oh my gosh. You, when you said it, it takes little steps, my instant gratification monster that lives inside of me was like screaming, no, no, <laughs> because there's That's almost funny. a high that comes from when I see progress, when I see things starting to get organized and put into place, or we get rid of a bunch of things, I start to feel almost lighter. And so I just mm-hmm. keep doing it. But I also have to have the support of the rest of my family. Yes. If they're not on board, then everything kind of comes crashing down. So absolutely. Thank you for those wonderful pointers, tips, and reminders. You are welcome. A huge thank you to our sponsor and a great friend and supporter of Her Health Collective, Renee Avis. Renee has been such a treasure to both Cindy and I as we navigate mothering daughters. And Renee has just been such a a lifeline in that. Yes, and it's been wonderful getting to know Renee because she's got daughters that are a bit older, like my girls, and we've connected on that. Tutors, body image, electronics, you know, all that stuff. All the things. All the things. Renee is a licensed professional counselor and the founder of the Competent Moms Raising Competent Girls coaching program. Renee is fantastic at helping moms identify and understand the roadblocks that keep them from feeling and being confident. There are so many amazing aspects to Renee's programs, but one of my personal favorites is how she guides moms on how to listen to, honor, and take care of our own bodies. Our children, especially our girls, are always watching, and this is such an important piece for moms to tackle, and it's something I'm always thinking about as I know my own daughter is watching me. Absolutely. This has been really helpful for me as I've navigated my own body image issues, as well as our girls coming into the age of being more aware of their bodies. I also love that she teaches moms how to connect with their daughters in authentic ways. Pre-teenhood. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yes. This is something that can become harder and harder as our daughters get older. Become a member of Confident Moms Raising Confident Girls Facebook group. You can also sign up for a phone call with Renee to see if the Confident Moms Raising Confident Girls coaching program is a fit for you. The link to sign up is included in the show notes. So I want to shift topics a little bit because I'm getting old and um, (laughs) I (laughs) know, but I, I recognize now that I feel pain more. I, Mm -hmm. I, if I do a workout or if I, Cindy, if you sleep wrong, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's been awful. (laughs) But Mm. we, we feel, we start to feel pain more as we age. Mm -hmm. And on your website, you speak specifically about redefining and managing pain. And that intrigued me so much. I would absolutely love to know more about the concept of redefining pain. And if you could talk a bit about what this looks like and 
its overall effectiveness. How effective has you seen it be? Absolutely. So, so first I'll let you know, you are not alone. (laughs) It is all a part of the process, you know, sadly, or, or maybe not so much, but yes, I too can sleep wrong and wake up and feel like I was hit by a bus. I get it. Um, it's just a part of the aging process in some regard. And it, it kind of comes whether you are an active person or not. I, I, I would presume that if you're super inactive, you might feel a little bit more discomfort. But to be honest, it really just happens to all of us. And the only way to combat it is to just maintain your flexibility, you know, move as much as you can, take care of your body. You know, as we get older, we need supplements and things of that nature. So, you know, do what you need to do and take care of you. But when I say redefine pain, I simply mean to define it in terms of what it is doing and how it is impacting you. So as opposed to saying my shoulder hurts, it's like, okay, well, we all have different pain tolerances. We might go and get an x-ray on my shoulder and your shoulder, and they may show the same pathology. Like, oh, the rotator cuff looks like it's worn. It looks like the, the labrum looks a little, you know, worn out. Like we could have the exact same diagnosis and you could be in excruciating pain day in and day out. And I could not even feel it. (laughs) So the reality of the pain piece and the pathology, everybody's pain receptors and interpretation of pain is different. So I encourage clients to redefine the pain based on how it is impacting their day-to-day life. So my shoulder hurts or, you know what, I am having difficulty reaching above head, you know, to put things away you know, at the end of the day. And it's really a challenge for me. So I work from that point as a physical therapist, like, okay, what is this stopping you from doing? How is it impacting your quality of life or your ability or your confidence in yourself? Some people may say, oh, my foot is hurting. And really what that means to them is, Every time I go to jog or every time I go to run after my kids, I'm in pain and I have to stop. So it's inhibiting my ability to interact with my children, my family, like I want to. It's impacting my ability to perform a hobby that really makes me feel good like I want to. So that that's what I mean by redefining pain. Um, the reason that I utilize that process is because if we're just checking in on pain, like, oh, I'm, I'm at a one out of. 10 or a 10 out of 10 or this or that, we're not putting meaning to it. And because those numbers can be, they're subjective, of course, but they can be so arbitrary based on how you're feeling in the moment. What I really want to know when you come to see me is how I can make your life better. So if we can get the pain to tone down a little bit, or maybe because I'm not changing, I'm not doing surgery. So I'm not changing what's happening in there. But if I can get the muscles a little stronger, if I can get the joint a little bit more flexible, you might notice that you hardly ever feel that pain. And now you're trying to do activities that you were doing before and it doesn't really hurt. So the pathology hasn't changed, right? The shoulder is what the shoulder is. And you still may experience some discomfort, but if we address the the strength, the flexibility, the range of motion, and now you're able to do a lot more because of the gains we've made here, despite the dysfunction in the shoulder, then you improve your quality of life overall. So that's, that's sort of the full circle of how we redefine your pain and incorporate it into our treatment. You know, I'll go as far as to try to do what it is you want to do that's giving you pain and we'll work on it and work on the strengthening and the other pieces until it's less painful. So I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, what I immediately thought about with what you were talking about at the end is the kinetic chain. And, mm-hmm. you know, so much, so frequently when we feel pain somewhere, there's some factor somewhere else in the body that is is impacting that. So yes. it, it is so important to focus on things like our muscles and our flexibility. Um, and there could be somewhere else in the body that is impacting that pain. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Something easy to forget, I think. For you sure. such a wealth of knowledge 
that we're going to shift topics again. Okay. <laughs> because you're you're so great in one another area. You share a lot about health at every size concepts on social media. Can you share a bit about your own journey navigating through diet culture and learning to embrace your body? Oh yeah. So that has been such a journey and I'm still on it. It's a journey not a destination obviously, but to be, you know, quite honest, I think I started dieting at like the age of 12. So like many young girls, for whatever reason, I, the, the youngest memory I have of like ever thinking about or worrying about my weight was um, in PE when they did the little skin fold test. They come around with the little, the little tool to measure the fat on your arm or on the side of your stomach. Do they still and do that? Do they do I, that now? I don't think they do. My children have not come home and told me that. Oh, so I gosh. feel pretty confident that they don't. But that was a very big thing in the 80s and 90s. And I think that was the first time I was made aware that, you know, I might be could possibly be too big for my my age and height, I guess. And I've always been really short. I'm only 4'11". So so I remember dieting as early as 12 and, you know, fast forwarding through adulthood and having children and all the body changes associated with that. I think my last effort at like really, really trying to lose weight was 2018. So my son, my, my last child was three and I was doing, I don't know, some silly program. And prior to that, I had done a Beachbody program and um, I love Beachbody. I'm, I'm a consumer of their workouts, but I don't believe in the nutrition piece of what they do. And so I was doing a program hardcore. I was working out seven days a week. I was using the little colored containers to limit my food intake. And I lost 20 pounds over the course of a few months. And everybody was giving me all the compliments. You look so good. Oh, my God. What did you do? Blah, 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 blah. And um, I woke up one day and I was tired. I was like, I don't want to work out today. <laughs> it's like I've been doing this for seven days a week for six months. And even though I've achieved, you know, part of my goal, and that's the funny thing, I was looking totally fine, but I still wanted to lose another 20 pounds. Crazy, right? So I was like, I'm just tired. And I took a few days off and then I kind of reverted back to my normal routine, which was working out three to four days a week and, you know, my, being mindful of what I ate, but not really very strict with my portions. And I gained all of that weight back plus a few extra pounds. And it was, it was frustrating and it made me feel like a fraud because I was in the health and wellness space. It made me feel like a failure because if I couldn't lose weight, how could I ever coach and help someone else lose weight? Um, and I was always way more, you know, kind with my clients, like, oh, don't focus on the weight loss, focus on this and that. But with myself, it's like, you've got to lose this weight, girl. Like you can't be out here promoting health and wellness and fitness and you're chubby. And, and that's really how I felt. Um, so I stumbled upon the book Health at Every Size by Dr. Linda Bacon and was blown away. I subsequently read the other books uh, printed by Dr. Bacon. And that just opened up my whole world to this idea that like, weight is not our issue. It's not at all our issue. It's literally just our habits, our practices, and then some things we can't control like our freaking genetics. <laughs> so I ditched all of the rhetoric about weight loss and all of the, you know, the tips and concern, like it, it just became like so repulsive to me, this thought of like trying to lose weight. And so now I, I introduce it to my clients, my patients, I introduce it to my mom coach clients and I I want them to know. And this isn't just like hoity-toity, you know, what you might call hippie stuff. Like this is like science. There's scientific research and proof and evidence that shows weight loss, like intentional weight loss doesn't work, especially once you get past the year two, three, four year phase. It doesn't work. 
Our bodies are smart. They have a set point that they would like to live around. You can absolutely beat your body into submission and and go below that set point and have the body of your dreams. But you're going to have to maintain that crazy lifestyle to maintain that body. And I've decided that I do not want that. (laughs) So so it's been um, really, really good to help guide women, especially moms, you know, all the emotions we go through as our body changes through understanding that that is not truly loving your body and appreciating it for what it's done for you. And, and letting go of diet culture is really one of the best things you can do for your body image, because then you lose the comparisons. Then you lose the downplaying of yourself and your abilities. You know, we spend so much time focused on what our body looks. We don't think about like, is my blood pressure good? Is my cholesterol okay? Am I actually healthy? Like BMI is nothing. That's trash. That's not something we need to focus on. But are the real health measures good? Can I go up and down the stairs without feeling like I'm going to pass out? Then you might actually already be healthy. And that, that's been the most eye-opening part for women is understanding like, I'm not unhealthy. I might just be fat or I might just be in a larger body and it's okay. <laughs> like it's nothing wrong with those things. So, so yeah, but diet culture, the whole, you know, beach body terminology, the whole pre-baby body, the whole snapback culture, all of that just gets in the way for moms and it's, it's really unnecessary and it's counterproductive to our, you know, really loving ourselves and appreciating our bodies. Various sources price the diet culture industry at different amounts. The most recent number we found was that diet culture is a $60 billion industry. Billion with a B. That's a huge amount of influence. It, It infiltrates every aspect of our culture. When you are working with your clients and you're coaching moms, we can only assume that you have to do a lot of work to fix those cognitive distortions that diet culture has caused. What are your methods for adjusting those damaging thought patterns while still providing, you know, pertinent health information and helping them find a way to exercise that feels good for their body? Basically just getting them to a place where they feel balanced in their life in the midst of the diet culture that is all consuming in our society. Absolutely. So it's, it's a, multifaceted. It's a lot of different things. The first part is introducing them to the idea because that's a real tough thing for people to digest that their weight isn't an issue. Like I'm still to this day, this morning, someone messaged uh, my most recent post on Instagram and said, I said, the health of my body cannot be determined by my weight. And someone this morning was like, let's not say that weight related diabetes is a problem, weight related respiratory problems. And so I literally, you have to constantly defend this, this stance and this understanding that like what you're saying actually doesn't have scientific factual data. You're, you're mistaking a correlation for causation. Like, yes, there may be a person in a large body who has, you know, worse health numbers and maybe they are less healthy. That person is one, not less deserving of respect or love. Let's just put that part out there. And two, it's really not your business, but you can't look at someone's outward appearance and determine if they are healthy or if they are not. You just don't know that. So anyway, that the process of unlearning is so hard, but that's where it starts. It starts with introducing them to this concept and this understanding of health at every size. I often refer them to the book themselves. You can literally rent it through the library for free and, and do it as an audiobook or on your tablet, like, you know, the Kindle, whatever. So I introduce them to the book. I talk to them about, you know, 
I introduce them to the science and understanding the statistics behind weight loss and its effectiveness and how it doesn't determine your actual health. And then we start to normalize their experiences by showing them other people who've been through the same things, you know, as it relates to, you know, weight. And then I want them to, it's different for everyone. Some people, we toss the scale, you know, some people, the scale brings up this anxiety that is just not good. We get rid of it. Some people can keep the scale because it's great for just, you know, normative information, just data, but it's not a big deal. And and depending upon where you are mentally with that, you can, you can manage it. Um, but we spend a time, I tell people to like, stop limiting themselves. So stop, you know, hiding certain snacks or food from yourself, open yourself up to experiencing what you like and really think about like, find out if you like it. Sometimes it's just a dessert and we just want something because we've been restricting ourselves so long. And it's like, no, actually try it and see if you like it. (laughs) If you actually like it, great, but maybe you don't, or maybe it really upsets your stomach. So you like it, but then you got to think, Is it worth the stomach upset today? Some days you're going to go for it. Some days you aren't. And that's totally fine, too. So just reaffirming that you can trust your body and you can trust your sensations, understanding the importance of eating intuitively or mindfully, and then finding ways to exercise that actually bring you joy. Because this idea of forcing yourself through a boot camp or someone's yelling in your ear, telling you you're disgusting or where you're, you know, just feeling fat shamed and feeling uncomfortable and not liking the environment, that's not sustainable. You want to find something that you enjoy. If that's dance, if it's running, if it's skating, if it's swimming, whatever it is, You need to stick to that and find a few different options because doing things you hate is going to be unsustainable and not really feed into your mental health. And our health is far beyond just our physical being. We're more than a body. So there's more, there's more to us. So yeah, you know, just facing your fears and getting over the guilt and trusting your body, you know, and doing the things that intuitively feel good to you because there's nothing wrong with them. You mentioned uh, going in and perhaps trying something that you've been restricting yourself on. What happens if a mom or a woman looks at you and says, girl, I have no shut off switch. What do you say to that? I say that we believe what we think and what we repeat. So if that is your position, it may be because you've been saying it to yourself for so long. So let's replace that statement with a different type of affirmation. And it might be, I can trust my body. I can trust my body's hunger signals. I can trust my body's fullness signals and just see. And sometimes it requires you to slow down. I know we're a go-go society. So we, you know, shovel our lunch in before the next client, but slow down, like eat slowly and see, like, do you like it? Does it taste good? How do you feel when you're eating it? How do you feel afterwards? And then make some decisions based on that, not based on, you know, some arbitrary, you know, diet person on TV telling you how much you should have for your body, you know, because it doesn't even make sense. Like our bodies are innately able to do this itself. We just, we shut it down and we tell ourselves things like, I can't stop it. I'm addicted to sugar. I'm addicted. And it's like, no, you're probably not. (laughs) You've just been restricting it so long that it seems like you got to have it. (laughs) So. Yeah. Oh, that's great feedback. Great feedback. We were talking a little bit before we started recording on momhood and you have your three kids in the office right now because it's a virtual learning day and my kids <laughs> get out of from school on Thursday and Chrissy says she's in renovation and things are all over. So we all have our struggles and yeah. we would just love for you to talk a little bit about what your biggest struggle currently is in your role as a mom because often moms can listen to this and hold our experts up on a pedestal, but we yeah. want to make sure that our listeners know that all of our experts are also human and they have their own struggles. 
Yes, you can kick that pedestal right down because if you don't, I will because ultimately we're all in the same boat. Like we're all trying to do our best. I remember when the whole COVID thing started and everyone was just angry at each other. How dare you open schools? How dare you want to send your kids to school? How dare you? It's like, listen, we are all trying to figure out, like nobody has been through a global pandemic before. We are all trying to figure out what is best for our children, for ourselves, for the community. This is hard. People were making a decision between, do I figure out a place to send my kid or leave them home alone so that I can work? Or do we just stay home from everything to be safe, but end up homeless? Like, what kind of choice is that? (laughs) You know what I mean? These were impossible choices. And moms, we're so hard on ourselves. And sometimes we're so hard on each other. So, so no, we don't all have it figured out. I am definitely not one that has it figured out. I can coach moms with their health and wellness, but as far as parenting, that's not my strong point. I'm still working through some things myself. So knowing your limitations and being okay with them and doing what you can to you know, work on them is key for me. But my biggest struggle, um, we talked about it earlier, is really just managing my emotions. I get personally offended when my kids don't listen to me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, their dad comes in and he says this. He doesn't have to yell. He doesn't have to repeat himself. And they listen to him. I say it 72 times, scream it, shout it, threaten them. And they don't listen to me. <laughs> like When I tell you, it stresses me out to no end. I am a human, imperfect. And that's that's really my biggest struggle. It's not it's managing my emotions when they are not listening and figuring out how I can best model the behavior, because ultimately They're just sponges. They're just soaking up what you do. So how can I model the behavior that I want to see in them? And then that, you know, makes me check myself all the time because I probably don't model (laughs) what it is I want to see anyway. So that's the cool and and scary thing about motherhood is you have these these mirrors now that reflecting back on you like, oh, well, maybe if you hadn't done this, they (laughs) they wouldn't have. And it's like, oh, I shut up, you know, (laughs) but it's the truth. It's the truth. So. So, yeah, that's that's my biggest struggle right now. If you could give every mom in the world one piece of advice based on your area of expertise, of course, what would you tell them? This is a good one. I thought about this. So I would say (laughs) my advice, the the simple form of it would be eat the cake. (laughs) Eat the cake. Okay. And that's laughing. We're like, (laughs) (laughs) and and I mean it literally and I mean it figuratively, because really what it boils down is to like enjoying this life, right? We don't have any idea how long we'll be here. I lost both of my parents very young. My dad was only 36 when he passed away. My mom passed away at 52. And so I didn't even get the, to me, some of the good years out of, out of those relationships. So obviously take care of yourself, right? Do the things that are good for your body. Don't obsess about them because then that's not good for your mental health, but do the things that are good for your body, but really enjoy the ride, like enjoy the ride. We don't have any guarantees out of this life. It's too short. And we were not put on this earth to like go to work and pay bills, yell at kids and be on diets like that. That's not, that's not, you know, what we were put here for. So I would say, you know, eat the cake, find the joy, be the joy, like live and enjoy your life. Cause you deserve it. Like you brought life into the world. Like, hello. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was awesome. That was Thank so, you. that was just so great. And you summarized it so, so well by saying, you know, eat the cake and eat the cake. Don't try not to worry. <laughs> and because that is what a mom does constantly is you're just yeah. obsessing over everything around you. We are. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dr. Folden, it is such a joy to talk to you as always. Um, we're so grateful for your time. And as I said before, your, your energy, your knowledge, your passion, your heart, um, you are such, such a, a bright spot and in our world and for moms everywhere and on Instagram, follow Dr. <laughs> Folden on Instagram. She's a joy. Um, she, she posts <laughs> some great stuff. So Thank you. And because of you, I'm going to go have a brownie after my lunch. Absolutely. (laughs) Enjoy it. Thank you, Dr. Folden. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. The feeling is mutual. I appreciate you both. I genuinely enjoy our time with Dr. Folden. She can make any topic fun and will always tell it like it is, which is something I really appreciate. She's a wealth of knowledge on so many topics, and I love hearing her viewpoints on things. We had so many takeaways from today's episode, but as always, we're going to leave you with our top three. One, having organization in your life is essential. It makes the day-to-day easier and can help you accomplish your goals. Dr. Folden is a big proponent of command centers for busy moms and families. The other important thing to remember about attempting to bring some organization into your life is that it may be necessary to take baby steps to get you where you want to be. You can't overhaul your life and make 10 huge changes simultaneously. If you know you and your kids need more organization around homework and the papers that come home from school every day, start there. Don't feel that you need to add in a new chore chart and meal plan system at the same time. One small change at a time is the way to bring sustainable organization to your life. Two, your thoughts and what you fill your days with matter. This is a theme I picked up on repeatedly in our conversation with Dr. Folden. We discussed the importance of having a carefully curated social media feed. This is essential to avoid going down the dreaded rabbit hole of comparing your life and your parenting to others. Making this shift has been huge for my own personal mental health. We also discussed the importance of finding your own hobbies. You are so much more than a mom, a wife, your job. You are also a woman with passions, likes, and desires. Pursue those. Fill your days with the things that fill your heart with joy. I also saw this same theme throughout our discussion of redefining and managing pain, as well as the conversation we had about diet culture. The thoughts you allow to filter through your mind on a daily basis matter. How are you defining the pain you feel in your body? In what ways are you letting society dictate how you see your body and what you view as beautiful? We all have a choice in how we fill our days, and we can always work to change certain thought patterns. Now, don't get me wrong. Changing our thoughts is not easy, (laughs) but the things in life that are worth it rarely are. Number three. So truth be told, I jam-packed number two so that I could finish up with Dr. Folden's final piece of advice. It was just too good not to share twice. She encouraged us to eat the cake, both literally and figuratively. We have no idea how long we'll be here. Dr. Folden encouraged us to, of course, do the things that are good for our bodies, but not to obsess about them. Life is short. Enjoy the ride. Really, enjoy the ride. We don't have any guarantees out of this life. 
Dr. Folden said, we were not put on this earth to go to work, pay the bills, yell at our kids and be on diets. And I couldn't agree with her more. I know that's not all I was put on this earth to do. That's not what any of us were put here for. So to wrap this all up in Dr. Folden's own words, eat the cake, find the joy, be the joy, live and enjoy your life because you deserve it. High five friends. We had so much fun with you. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review. We love hearing what you have to say. Until next time, stay true to you.